Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Breaking the Game podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Stephen Gillespie, and joining me is the other half of our dynamic duo, Austin Carr. Austin, how's it going today, man? Hey, it's going pretty good. Uh, it's kind of been a nice, easy day for me. Haven't done a whole lot. It's my wife's off work, so we've just been kind of hanging out at home. How about you? Uh, not too bad. I was talking to you earlier about how we went out and went to a pumpkin patch with the kids and everything and, you know, had a good time and a good fun day and, you know, get to wind down and watch some basketball later this evening. So right. can't get any better than that. What better way to end the day, right? I can think of a couple, but I'm not going <laughs> to name them here on the show. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll keep it PG here. There you go. But yeah, we got a, we got a great episode. Obviously what's going on in the NBA right now. The, the big thing is obviously the NBA finals. Uh, Austin, just before we even get started, just how have you been? How have you been digesting this as just a basketball fan or an analyst? Even like, how are you enjoying the finals right now? Um, well, you know, a lot of what people are saying is that this has kind of been a boring series, or you know, I'm sure you've seen the articles online about how the ratings are way down or, or whatever. Sure. Um, I don't get it. I mean. I, I think this is every bit as entertaining as the Warriors sweeping the Cavaliers two years in a row or, or you know, they won one game in two years. Right. I mean, last year was a great finals, but I, I've been pretty entertained. I mean, I think the basketball has been fairly good. Um, game four was a little bit a little bit slower. It just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of of, you know, action or big, you know, like big moments, I guess. Um, but other than that, I mean, every game's been been fairly entertaining i think game four was actually the only game that was within 10 points but somehow it would it lost my interest more than the other games i guess yeah it was we'll we'll go into the details on that mm -hmm. but yeah game four was probably if i had a favorite right like my least favorite but mm -hmm. overall i've enjoyed the series as well i'm a big time basketball fan though so it doesn't take much to keep me happy i just right. the only thing that i haven't enjoyed and i don't want to get too far off in the weeds here is how everyone is trying to sell me on how good the Miami Heat are still, even though mm -hmm. that they're down 3-1, you know what I mean? Like, I understand that they're a good team. You know, I talked about this last week. You know, I, I picked them to beat the Bucks. You know, I did not pick them to advance. Like, I get that they're a good team. I just, I mm -hmm. don't need to be reminded just because the Lakers are beating the brakes off of them that this is still a good basketball team. Like, they made it to the finals. We know. We know they're a good team. You know what I mean? Right. I just think that's kind of a product of, you know, they don't want to just keep repeating themselves over and over. You know, obviously, I think everybody kind of sees the the talent difference and that it's it's been fairly, other than game three, it's been fairly one-sided. And, right. you know, I mean, they can't just keep saying, you know, Miami got their ass kicked over and over. But Yeah, I, I get it, um, you know, but – for anybody out there that's complaining, I mean, what more do you really want? We've got, you know, one of the arguably two or three greatest players ever back in the finals for a 10th time. Mm -hmm. We've got Jimmy Butler had an all time finals performance in game three, one of the best ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's plenty of stuff to be excited about for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And I just, again, I, I know that the heat are good. Like quit, right. quit telling me NBA community. Like I, I think, I, get that I think a lot of it has to do with this, that, you know, there's never been, I don't think a fifth seed has ever made the finals. Have they? I don't think so. I don't, I don't have that information on hand way to yeah, expose my knowledge. Sure. Here. But, uh, <laughs> I'm almost positive that was the case. Yeah. But and, you it's know, not so fairly think, common. We'll say that. I don't think casual fans really understand how good Jimmy Butler has been the last couple of years. Yeah. I think that's lost on a lot of people in general. 
And, yeah. you know, he's been telling everybody since he had that practice issue in, in Minnesota, you know, if you just listen and do things my way, I'll take you to the promised land. And yeah. He's kind of proved it. Yeah. And I'm sure that all of his previous stops are thrilled to death to see that he was right all these years right. later. Right. So, yeah, exactly. we can we'll keep it rolling, though. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing the finals recap right now. You mentioned game three, how it was a inter- very entertaining game. Um, it was an 11 point victory by the Heat, although it was a lot closer than the final score would indicate. Mm-hmm. You know, the Heat were without uh, Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, which I thought was basically a death sentence, right? Right. Um, you mentioned Jimmy Butler had a 40-point triple-double, uh, 40 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds, had two steals and two blocks, so he was all around just giving it his all. Shot 70% from the floor, 85% from the line, and did not attempt a single three. Before we move on, just how impressive is it for anybody in the NBA right now not to have 40 points, right? That happens a lot. But how about 40 points? and not even attempting, not taking them and missing them, but didn't even attempt a three-pointer. How impressive is that? Well, it's when you you know factor in the fact that he only took 20 shot attempts to get 40 points and he mm-hmm. didn't take a single three, that's pretty crazy. Usually if you see a guy that's that efficient or took that few shots to score that many points, it's because he hit four or five threes or he would just lived at the free throw line the whole game. I mean, he took 14 Which he attempts. did do a little bit of that. Yeah, he did he took do a 14 attempts, but that's not anything like crazy out of an ordinary it's not like you know in 06 when Dwayne Wade took like 25 and a quarter (laughs) right so I mean it was just like I hate it when people say you like a guy like refused to lose but that's kind of the only really way you can describe what he did in game three right just it kind of had a feel all along like I don't want to say the Lakers were overlooking them or just thought they had it in the bag but they just seemed kind of disinterested from the get-go you know when you saw in the first series against portland in the second series against houston after they lost game one lebron and ad came out with you know with a fire and they were Mm -hmm. aggressive and i know anthony davis got in foul trouble early on but even still like they just didn't really seem all that interested in playing to their, you know, playing as hard as they could like they have the rest of the playoffs. So I kind of expected a little bit of a letdown from them at some point. And, you know, Jimmy Butler is one of the 10 or 15 best players in the NBA. You know, he's maybe has never had quite a stat line like that, but he's also well, never, never had a triple double before. Right? right. So that's quite the time to get it. Right. And, you know, but at the same time, though, you know, big players step up in big moments and he's never been in the finals before. So. You know, here yeah. he is now doing his best work when the lights are the brightest. I think that's what everybody wants out of out of superstar player. So yeah, if you got a max contract player, that's what you pay him for, right? Right. But the Heat had a hero, Olenek, Robinson, and Crowder all in double figures. Hero and Olenek both had seventeen. Robinson had thirteen, and Crowder again just putting up double figures almost every game with twelve points. Mm-hmm. LeBron in the loss had twenty five, ten, and eight with two blocks. Shot 52% from the floor, 20% from deep, 66% from the line. And we talked about how AD just disappeared. He only had 15 points. I think only attempted a single shot in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they had Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma come off of the bench with 19 points. Danny Green was 0 of 6 from the floor. KCP was 20% from the floor. And Caruso was 25% from the floor. Kuzma only played 22 minutes and shot 46% from the floor, 50% from deep, and 100% from the free throw line. Looking at that, 
you have to kind of, you would think going into game four, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, that they would have adjusted the minutes. But Frank Vogel has stood pat with the guys that he has in the lineup. I've been clamoring for Caruso to be in the starting lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, But he seems to be standing pat. And we saw a lot of, you know, controversy surrounding Danny Green and KCP. I've even seen on some social media groups that people are advocating and even signing petitions, trying to keep those guys from getting a championship ring if they win. Uh, quite hilarious in a sense, mm-hmm. but also kind of typical when you when you watch basketball as long as we have, Austin, you know, and we've seen almost all, if not all, of LeBron James's career. Right. This is the type of noise that you get. When you play alongside LeBron James, if you're a role mm-hmm. player, you better be perfect every game or people are going to be calling for your head, right? Right. I mean, I don't really understand it. I, I'll be the first one to tell you from a firsthand basis, if you want to compare the worst fan bases as far in terms of who's the most insufferable, the Lakers mm-hmm. are at or near the very top. I mean, there's so many Kobe fans that like don't even really like the Lakers. They just liked Kobe. And mm-hmm. it, it just, they're already in a huge market to begin with. They're one of the two or three most popular teams and you know social media has so many trolls that just live to you know talk bad about people online so you got to kind of filter through that i mean i looked up some things uh kcp's actually made the second most threes of in a single playoffs of of any laker ever Hmm. um he's hit 43s this this playoffs and i think the most is 47 from trevor ariza and uh you know, he's shooting like almost 36% from three. I feel mm-hmm. like just about anybody else on any other team, they'd, they'd be pretty satisfied with that. <laughs> be pretty happy with that from a yeah. role player, and, right? You know, they kind of clump Danny Green and him into this duo all the time when they talk mm-hmm. about that. And it does seem kind of like they both have bad games on the same night and good games on the same night. So it, it is a little odd there. But Danny Green's the one that worries me a little bit more. Um, you know, all he really was offensively was mostly a three-point shooter at this point anyway and he's Mm -hmm. kind of seemed like he's completely lost his shot but at the same time i think it's more difficult than people realize to just stand in the corner and be ready to shoot all the time you know yeah it's hard you're not moving the ball when yeah when you're danny green on the raptors you can still kick the ball around to find an open (laughs) shooter when you're playing with lebron james he's usually drawing two or three defenders you're wide open, have to shoot every time. You don't get a chance to feel the ball, leave your hand to a teammate, and you get to see, you know, someone else make it off of your pass, right? Like it's all you, you, you mm-hmm. on on that end of the floor, right? And you know, poor Danny Green making fourteen million, twelve million dollars a year right now to yeah. to miss all these three pointers, right? So I'm not going to feel too him. bad. Yeah, absolutely, right. So poor guy. Yeah, but um, no, oh, um I think I was kind of surprised. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say I think you got to kind of give. Uh, coach Vogel credit for, you know, sticking with his guys and staying with his rotations because for the most part it has worked. I mean, you know, we're kind of really splitting hairs here. If we're talking about a team that might go four one in all four rounds of the playoffs, how many changes they need to make. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And and again, this is, I think you kind of run out of storylines when you have, you know, an overmatched team, which still, I understand that they're really good, but they're playing against LeBron James and Anthony Davis and company. Like, Right. You're and they're not healthy on top of that, right? So mm-hmm. um we'll continue down game three stat line though. So Miami was eight percent better from the floor. They made seven more shots on only one more attempt, so they were extremely efficient. The Lakers made two more threes in the heat, but to but it took eight attempts to get those, right? So mm-hmm. less efficient from outside. The Heat were roughly fifteen percent better from the free throw line, even though they made one less free throw. 
the Lakers were plus one in fouls and plus six on the glass, plus eight if you just look at offensive rebounding, right? Mm -hmm. But Miami was plus two in assists, plus one in blocks, plus seven in turnovers, and plus eight in points of the paint. Both teams had eight steals. Now, those turnovers to me, Austin, were the big part of the game, especially in the first half, because it seemed like the Lakers could not get it going at all. They couldn't get out of their own way. And really, those first half turnovers really did them in when you consider how efficient Jimmy Butler was for the night. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, in the finals, no matter who you're playing against, you can't give the other team extra possessions, at least not at that rate. Um, I saw they set a record for the most turnovers in one quarter in a mm -hmm. playoff game. You know, so that's that's alarming. But that's yeah, one LeBron of those things where, by himself. Right. And that's one of those things where if you, you know, if you kind of just clean that up just a little bit, you know, that can completely change the outcome of a game. You know, you're talking uh, yeah, you know, they won by 11, mm. but you know, it a was closer turnovers than here that, and there. Yeah. That's you know, each turnover you count is almost a four point swing. You know, if they came down and made a shot and you didn't make a shot, so I just, you know, I think that was kind of something that didn't really worry me too much because they haven't really turned the ball over like that all year. Mm. And LeBron is kind of, kind of a turnover machine sometimes. He just some sometimes he just loses the ball a bunch. I don't think I've ever seen any referee call two travels in one quarter. So that yeah. kind of been surprising. Let alone one on LeBron James. Like right. you see that once every maybe couple of like mm -hmm. weeks, but you get two in one game like that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's insane. Now yeah. I, before we get into, into game four, game three, there's a couple storylines that I want to get your opinion on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we'll we'll um we'll table one of these because we're going to be talking about Finals MVP here in a little bit. Okay. The big one, obviously, and LeBron haters rejoice, right? Like they got to see LeBron James leave a game with how long? How long was on the clock, Austin? I think when he seven tenths of a second or something ridiculous, or maybe yeah. a little bit more than that. But yeah, so he left the game with about seven seconds left, and you know he was on the court had to be on the floor uh overall how big of a deal do you think that was to you and would it matter if it was anybody else i don't think if it was anybody else anybody would really even be talking about it um hardly at all if at okay. all i mean i think they would maybe mention it but it wouldn't be you know one of the top stories and my dad just commented in and said anthony davis wasn't trying i i kind of could see that he, he didn't really play too aggressively in game three. I kind of feel like he's had instances throughout yeah. his career where he's been a little, uh, well, I would credit the foul trouble to the effort, the effort right. that he could give on the defense. You did end, see right? when he got his fourth foul though. I think coach Vogel was a little bit, you know, annoyed with him at that point. Cause he kind of just said, hands up, and you know, out there, stay yeah. in there, play through it. You got to figure this out. And I kind of like mm -hmm. that, you know, I do too. I'm a, a fan bit. of that approach. Yeah. And you know, they weren't like cheap fouls or anything or bad calls. They just, you know, he got out of position and had, kind of dumb plays yeah. um but back to what you asked i i don't i mean it's obviously not a good look i think if you're lebron james one i don't think you care about what people say about it regardless but two you got to know that everybody's going to talk about it and everybody's going to mm -hmm. be you know dogging you about it and that's all they're going to say is oh man look what a poor sport he is i mean Back in, in the 80s, the Celtics did it when the Pistons knocked him out. The Pistons did it when the Bulls knocked him out. A few years ago, Kobe. there's a video of Kobe Bryant walking mm -hmm. off the court. I know that that got circulated for and, you know LeBron mm -hmm. lovers, if you will. If you, right. you The far left and the far right going at each other, if you will. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, so I just, I think everything gets overblown when LeBron's involved and makes it a story, even if it's not, you know, mm. everybody's got to hit their quota for how many times a day they say his name. So of course, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. If it was somebody else, I mean, it would have to be like the best player on another, on, on the other team for it to, even let really me give you, about. let me give you two names that I know for a fact, if they did it, they would be ran through the mud as well. Mm-hmm. And they are now teammates, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Yep. That's especially, a good point. especially, if it was against LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but I think, you know, they're, they're kind of deserve the reputations they have, you know, to an extent. Um, yeah. KD, maybe a little less than Kyrie. I think all KD did was, you know, pick Join the team that the he team thought was going to have the best chance to win, which yeah. I mean, I can't really fault him for that. Wasn't against any rules. Yeah. Right. Exactly. If it was, if they were that worried about it, they would, you know, not let it happen. I mean, the leagues vetoed trades before and signings and stuff before they could do it okay. if they really, if they really felt that badly about it. Um, but you know, I think that's, that's a good point. I don't know why LeBron is, is hated the way he is. I guess it's because he talks about himself in the same breath as Michael Jordan and people just get upset about that. But I mean, if anybody, yeah. if you're going to talk about anybody that's for the greatest player of all time, he's got to be in the conversation. So Absolutely. I think, and we'll, and I got an idea for a, a discussion that we can have on probably mm-hmm. even the next show, right. um, depending on, you know, if the finals are wrapped up by that point. But um, right. I, I obviously, I didn't think it was a good look. I would, I would have felt that way about anybody in all honesty, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the casual fan wouldn't have, but I'm a Kawhi Leonard guy. If I saw Kawhi Leonard do that when they lost to the Nuggets, I would have been like, nah, dude, like you can't do that. Right. Um, I just, it's a bad look. Uh, there's people who don't care. And if they don't care, then you're not going to be able to have a discussion with them anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's basically how I feel about it. I feel like it's a bad look regardless who it is. Um, yeah. And, you know, LeBron James, if it was done to him, he may not like say anything outwardly about it, but let him catch the guy that does that to him the next time they play. You know what I mean? Right. So that's what I think. That's where I think you would see a little bit of retaliation. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, it's a bad look, and I don't want to dwell yeah. on it too much. It's just that we haven't got a chance to speak on it, mm-hmm. and I just I was curious on. Where, I have on a where question for you. What did you think of uh, of the Tyler Hero snarl? In, in <laughs> oh trade? my goodness! Uh, I can't take credit for it, but a good friend of mine, Patrick Graham, you know, he's been on my show before. I've been on his. We did a little bit of work together back when All Aspect Sports was in its heyday. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said that he looked like an angry bird, and I thought that was the perfect description. He, he looked just true. like the little red angry bird, right? The way his hair um, was sticking up and everything. Yeah, and his mouth is very beakish looking. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel bad for the guy um, because he has been asked to snarl everywhere he goes now. Yep. Um, I just felt like he got caught up in the mo- And he said that in several interviews, uh, that he got caught up in the moment. He could probably never duplicate it. It was mm-hmm. just... You know, he he's a rookie and he is, you know, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit in game four. But like, dude has no fear and he Mm -hmm. is like has all the confidence in the world. And if he wants to look like an angry bird on national television, good for him, because at least he's backing it up to some extent with his play. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go with it. I I, I like it. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I like seeing the confidence out of him, even though even if he is a rookie, I think that kind of even makes it you know, even more awesome in my eyes. 
Um, you know, I almost wish he would have just owned it a little bit more. I mean, obviously, if you can't, re, you know, duplicate it, you can't duplicate it. But I think he should have said, yeah, I knew what I was doing and I meant to do it. I'm not scared. <laughs> right. Know, and, I think in, in, in all reality, I think that's the truth. Yeah. It um, he's he does not care that he's the youngest dude that ever start in the finals, like does not care. And Jimmy Butler is, you know, stoking that fire that he's got in him, too. I mean, I heard way back at the beginning of last college season that Zion Williamson was talking about him being the most underrated prospect in the in the country. Then he said he was the most underrated guy in the draft. And, you know, he's kind of proved it. He's he's shown a lot of people that I think he's going to be really good for a long time in this league. And, you know, he couldn't really be in a better situation. You know, from everything you hear, Miami is one of the best, if not the best run organization in the NBA. You know, yeah. they they have some way of getting everybody to buy into the same idea no matter what. I don't know if you've heard any of the interviews that Myers Leonard has done on, on the radio. I have, that dude, actually. That yeah. dude is like the number one hype man in the world, isn't he? Yeah. He would be the best teammate to have ever. I'm almost getting sick of hearing, like, or like because – you know, with the network that I'm a part of, everybody talks about Myers Leonard and, yeah. you know, like I get that it's important, especially with no fans, but like I'm kind of getting tired of seeing him just throw, <laughs> throw himself around out there. And, right. You know, it does get a little when, he, when he did play, he was very productive. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not like he's acting out on the sidelines. And then when he's asked to play being an absolute dud, you know what right. I mean? So at least he's backing up his energy. Mm -hmm. on and off the court to some extent and, you know i think you got to give him a lot of credit for taking the in stride the fact that when he came back from injury and when the season restarted that he lost his starting spot and for a while they almost completely lost all of his minutes and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like hey get ready you're gonna start game two of the nba finals good luck yeah and, bam hurt his you know, neck and we need you ready bro. to go you gotta give yeah. him credit for that and olenic stepped up a lot too i mean oh, yeah. obviously he's not gonna replace what you get from bam but you know he's he's done a lot to impress me i remember him when he was in college thinking if he ever figured it out he'd be a superstar because just how yeah. big he is i mean olenic did drop 17 in the in their only win i mean he's been very valuable he right. i'm even seeing a little bit from him that i wasn't expecting especially playmaking like even though mm -hmm. he didn't really log a lot of assists like his ability to move the ball and see the open guy pretty impressive yeah, and I kind of think that's a testament a little bit to, you know, Eric Spolstra and to the just that heat culture you hear about all the time. I think they kind of expect everybody to be able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they Shoot never seem, pass, yeah. right, they never seem unprepared for any situation, no matter what it is. You know, I don't think there's probably not a whole lot of teams in the NBA that could just come out in the playoffs and run it, run a zone for the majority of the game and run it as well <laughs> yeah. as they do. You know, it's not as e it is easier than matching up man to man when you're overmatched. But if you don't know it and how to move as a team, it, it can you can get destroyed really like quick. they did in games one and two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I kind of think a lot of people expected that regardless. Just, you right. know, I don't I don't think if you don't have somebody that can match up on guys like ad and lebron you're gonna have a tough day no matter what so yeah but i just think you got to give eric spolster credit I, I sometimes think he gets overlooked as one of the best coaches in the nba um you know yeah. everybody that's ever He's played for him has three easily for me right now in the league too. and i think everybody that's ever played for him has nothing but good things to say about him you know even lebron like you said on our last episode was wanting him out as the head coach at mm -hmm. one point and, you know, now all he says is, you know, we know what Spoh's about. We know how good he is. You guys are the only ones that never understood how good he was. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I've kind of always seen it just, yeah. I don't know. I don't think he gets 
quite enough credit in the media. I mean, you never really hear his name talked about as, you know, coach of the year, even though they're always, you know, competitive. Yeah. And I mean, I can't remember the last time, probably since before LeBron got there where the heat were just bad. And I think they were um, almost openly tanking that year. So, well, of course. Yeah. And Michael Beasley didn't pan out, unfortunately for that right. team, but let's get into game four a little bit. You know, LA defeated Miami one Oh two to 96 in a very nineties feeling basketball game here. It was um, Miami was without Goran Dragic and it broke my heart to see him like visibly, like just breaking down, like having mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not going to say an emotional breakdown. Like he was obviously just, disappointed that he couldn't be there with his team and then when he saw the camera on him he realized like oh great now like i'm upset that i can't play and now everybody in the world is going to see me being emotional about it here on Mm -hmm. tv so like he he couldn't even have like that moment to himself which i thought was kind of cheap but i understand that people have a job to do and things like that but Mm -hmm. i feel bad for the guy Um, lebron james had a big game 28 12 and 8 with one still shot 50 40 80 from the floor um, AD had 22, 9, and 4 with four blocks and a steal, shot 50, 50, 100% from the floor, and apparently allegedly asked to guard Jimmy Butler, who was kept to 22, 10, and 9 with three steals and a block, shot 47% from the floor, did shoot some threes this game, was 0 of 3, and was 85% from the line. KCP and Danny Green, although they were zeros in the game before, they were the only other Lakers in double figures outside of the big two. KCP mm-hmm. had 15 and Danny Green had 10. Hero was 21-7-3, shot 44% from the floor, 42% from deep, only 50% from the line, which was 2-4. of four. Robinson had 17. Bam in his return, glad to see him back, Was had 15 in his, re- in his return. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on game four there, Austin? Um, well, for starters, uh, I was happy to see Bam back out there. You know, like mm-hmm. I said before, you always want to beat a team when they're at their best. Obviously, they're missing Goron, and you feel for him. And, you know, I just wanted to add, it's not like he's over there pouting or being a poor sport. He's just correct, honestly yes. upset that he can't be out there helping his team. And I think, yeah. you know, that's what you want out of a teammate. Especially um, in the finals, yeah, absolutely. Right. I will, you know, thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. If anybody was under the impression that I was – poking or judging or anything like that like right. i wanted to cry when i saw him you know what i oh, mean i knew what you meant i just yeah make sure um, i appreciate it you know something that was i also thought was interesting anthony davis has yet to miss a free throw in this in these finals he is shooting 100 for the entire series so that's kind of a Some jose calderon type stuff impressive. there especially for a big man you usually don't see big guys like him being great free throw he shooters a, he was a guard in high school i mean come on <laughs> true um but you know, he obviously redeemed himself, played a lot better. Um, how often do you see a team this dominated by two guys and they each only took 16 shots? You know, it was a very odd feeling kind of game, just that it never really, the Lakers never really seemed in control, but mm-hmm. Miami never really seemed like they were going to, they were going to win push. it either. And it, it just kind of, happened you know what i yeah, mean like it was a very good description that's how well, i felt about it too they weren't super dominant nobody was really had like an out of this world performance you know lebron was really close to a triple double again mm-hmm. which i guess is just old hat now that's yeah. that's saying something come but, on lebron pick up your game a little bit right please. those two more assists come on <laughs> but you know dwight howard people made i even made a big deal about him getting moved into the starting lineup and i do think it helped sure. but he played seven minutes you know, yeah. He took one shot and didn't score. Um, 
you know, he's a lot of times just out there for his defense and his uh, energy. Yeah, and, lost threat, yeah. And just exactly, they have to worry about him more than they do like McGee or, you know, anybody else that they could put in there. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of bugs me about people dogging KCP so bad is, you know, people don't really realize unless you're as into it as you and I are, how good he's been on defense. And that's yeah. really what he's in there for. But, you know, six of 12, you know, three of eight from three, you know, that's what you want from him. That's all you can really expect from a guy like him. Um, Especially in that first half where no one had it going and he was their right. leading scorer going into the, into the half. And, you know, I think it just goes to show how fickle basketball is and how fickle fans can be because, you know, one minute they're everybody loved that they had Danny green. And now, you know, cause just for this, this moment, you know, he's been on the biggest stage in the finals and produced before. And that's what everybody I think was expecting from him. And everybody was so happy that they had him. And now they have a petition to keep him out of the ring ceremony, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's ridiculous how quick stuff switches, you know, yeah. you, like you said on social media, you see after game three, uh Oh, Jimmy Butler, here he comes. Watch mm-hmm. out, my Miami Heat are going to come back and win this series. They're in yeah. trouble. That's what Jimmy Butler said, right? right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I I expect stuff like that from Jimmy Butler, but I also didn't expect him to sustain that level of play for three or four more games. Especially when he's never had a triple-double before. Like, right. it's, people have very much so like a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mentality, mm-hmm. which you – I'm okay with that thought process as long as it's not literally game by game. You mm-hmm. know, if it's like within a season or so, like maybe. Right. And, you know, it was one thing that's interests me the last couple games a lot is I don't really think of Jimmy Butler as a, as a big time playmaker like that. And he's had mm-hmm. 22 assists in the last two games. Yeah. You know, he's been phenomenal being the primary playmaker. And he's kind of showed that ability that I talked about last time we were together that he can kind of really influence whether his team wins or loses without taking a lot of shots. And with, I mean, he does have the ball a lot. He and, does have a very high usage percentage. Yes. And, but you know, I mean, he only took 20 shots in his 40 point game. He took 17 in game four. Mm-hmm. So really no difference and there. He just points, made yeah. half as many, you know, and you know, like they, what they always say, the NBA is a make or miss league make because miss. That's right. you know, from one game, these shots can look terrible. And if they make them the next game, you know, we're praising them for how good they were. And I just think, you know, you got to kind of look at it as, you know, as a whole instead of Mm -hmm. just one game at a time, especially, you know, when they're playing a team that's as more talented as than them as the Lakers are, you know, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle no matter what. And I just don't think it's realistic to expect that kind of performance from Jimmy Butler every single night. I I don't think you can expect that from anybody. I mean, Anthony Davis is, arguably one of the five best players in the world. And he had an absolute dud in game three. You know? yeah. It happens to everybody. Um, you know, they, him and LeBron both did make some big shots down the stretch in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter of that game. They kind of did what I expect them to do and took over to, at the end. Um, so, I mean, it was a solid win for the Lakers. It just wasn't like some great impressive victory. That being said, um, I think they kind of corrected a lot of things that went wrong in game three that really helped them. Uh, win this one so yeah um just real quick i want to say i i bought a new car recently uh, on my journey from washington to arkansas and a part of the deal was is that i get a year free of sirius xm radio i don't know if you have it it's the first time i've ever had it um they have several nba channels on there (laughs) and i was listening to one yesterday and i do have a point to this this is going to tie into what you were just talking about 
they were interviewing a super fan. I think his name was like Jimmy John or Jeff Goldstein. He's a I he's listening to that too. Oh, okay. So then you heard the same description that I heard. If you listen to the parts of the interview I did, where they asked him what he thought of Jimmy Butler, and he said, "Can't take anything away from the guy. Like he's been phenomenal. He is the Heat's best player, and he's been a superstar." But I don't understand how good he is. This is what Goldstein was saying. I don't understand how good he is because he only goes right. He isn't very good from outside, and he only ha- he doesn't have a crossover. So mm-hmm. it's like when he said that, I was like, "Huh." He really like that was like one of the best descriptions of Jimmy Butler that, is true, that, I've, that I've ever heard. Like he does only go right. He isn't great from outside. He has games where he can hit right. And he does mm-hmm. not have like a, a, a crossover. So the fact that he is leading a team with all those limitations to me, like you were saying earlier, like, oh, he just really wanted to win this game. Like everybody does. Right. But I think when we when we hear those cliches we kind of get kind of jaded by them right mm-hmm. because like, yeah everybody says this. this is something you have to say about your best player on your team right right but it really does fit the mold for jimmy butler because even in this game even though he he shot 47 percent from the floor that's not terrible right right and he and he was an assist away from a triple double and had three steals and a block like this dude just doesn't stop mm-hmm. he's not really a young cat either right like he's in his He's been, he's been around for a while, you know. Yeah, and long he, enough that we should have already kind of had him figured out. And I kind of feel like he's just kind of getting better this playoffs before our eyes. Right, like a fine wine almost. Right. So I don't know. I, I heard that description, and I wanted to put that out there in the ether for anyone who hadn't heard it yet, because I was just very like dumbfounded by that description that like perfectly represents Jimmy Butler's offense, but. He, his heart is greater than any of those things, right? Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, some players just have like a, a force of will about them and it's their personality and it's the way they go about things. And you can kind of just feel in games like these in the finals when a guy takes over, even before he really goes off, you can kind of just see it happening. Even in and, the pregame interview, like that energy, had, like he was just bouncing around and he told he told Rachel Nichols what was about to happen and, mm-hmm. and he just went out and did it. I'm telling you what, if if Jimmy Butler makes a prediction, I'm probably never going to bet against it in my life because nope. he just he kind of says things that he and then goes and makes it happen regardless of what anybody else says or does or wants. And he didn't say them in any other game, but that one mm-hmm. he was like, "We got something. We got something going on. Like this is us." So, right. And you know, I think Miami kind of has this us against the world mentality to begin of with, course. and they're yeah. very you know all for one, one for all kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think them being backed into a corner the way they were and as much as the media was talking about how overmatched they were, I think they just more than anything wanted to at least show the world that what they already knew, that they they deserve to be here, that they're good enough to be here. And that, like you said, people don't need to keep trying to prove it. Right. Looking at the stats for like just specifically the fourth quarter of game four, you know, he was three of five. And he scored six points. He had five assists in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a big, a big fourth quarter and the game was close all the way till the very end. So yeah. It's not when you like start getting into the free throws and the, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like he disappeared, but you know, the heat took two free throws the entire fourth quarter. So I just 
you know, even without watching it, you can kind of tell that they weren't as aggressive as they were in game three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes guys just get fired up when they see their teammate make a big play and it's just like kind of a watershed moment and it, things start rolling from there. And there were none of those on either side in game four. So it kind of just felt like the better team just kind of outlasted the other one. You know? It felt like it was on 2K and you just hit, you sim that game. You know right. what I mean? Like that's what it felt like I just watched. I felt like I watched whatever algorithm that 2K <laughs> uses and simulating games. I felt like I just watched that play out. I honestly sat and watched the entire game from the opening tip, tip off to the last second. And I mm-hmm. had to go back and rewatch about half of it to really get a good idea of what happened. Yeah. It, just, it was just disinteresting kind of. It just kind of un- untangled. Like, that's really what it felt like. It was a ball of yarn that we just sat there and pulled apart. And we were just right. like, I can't believe I just did this for two hours. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. You know, my wife, I think, asked me after right after the game how it went. And I kind of just was like, oh, well, Lakers won. I don't really know. It, it went. Like, <laughs> it, it happened. Went. Yeah. But um, just one one more thing that I want to put out. Actually, two. Mm-hmm. Um, Hero in that game, it only seemed like he wanted to make a shot when it was over LeBron James or Anthony right. Davis. Like he was not interested in hitting an open shot. He asked, did he did hit one over KCP that I remember. But other than that, like the rest of his makes, like that ridiculous floater mm-hmm. he hit over Anthony Davis or the right. three, the the contested three that he hit over LeBron, like mm-hmm. those vividly stick out in my head. And then just the open misses vividly stick out in my head. It, he, you know, he did have 21 points in this game, you know, 42% from deep. And if he hit his free throws, you're looking at a 23 point game. Like he would have been their leading scorer had he hit mm-hmm. those two free throws, right? So it, it was just crazy to me that like in that game, he only wanted to hit ridiculous shots, right? Like right. That, and, and to your point, even more, he scored half his points in the fourth quarter, you know? Right. So in crunch time, Again. when rookies <laughs> tend to kind of get either disappear or kind of get pushed to the side for, you know, by their own team. And he kind of took it on himself to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys that takes over in this game. Yeah, I'm cooking right now. And I kind of think he just, has that mentality like, oh, you want to guard me now? Here, watch me do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. I don't know. You know, some guys just play better when when there's people watching them or against, you know, a better opponent. They just kind of step their game up to their level. Uh, I don't really know how to explain it because, like you said, it does kind of seem like you can't hardly hit an open three. And then, no. uh, you know, when he's being guarded by one of the two best players in the world, yeah. he looks like he's a superstar. And Correct. one other thing that I kind of thought was interesting, um, game four, the Lakers took, uh, let me look, 37 threes where the closest defender was more than four feet away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the NBA considers open threes. And they made about 35 or 6% of them. So all but two of their three-point attempts were basically wide open. Yeah, and I know they're not the best three-point shooting team in the NBA, but they're still NBA players. I think if Miami wants a chance to extend this series, they've got to figure out a way to close out on shooters a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, stay home a little bit more, which is much easier said than done when LeBron yeah, James, when LeBron James is attacking the basket and Tyler Hero's mm-hmm. literally bouncing off of him. Like, right, you, <laughs> you have to do, well, you have to do what you have to do to mm-hmm. say okay. Like, it or LeBron James layup is always going to go in more than a Danny Green or a KCP or Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo, a Kyle Kuzma or a Markeith Morris three-pointer. Like mm-hmm. LeBron James attacking the basket is way more of a concern. Right. And, and you know, I always have kind of liked the idea that 
you know, we're this guy's gonna get his no matter what. So mm-hmm. we just need to focus on shutting everybody else down. Yes. Um, I think that's kind of the mentality the Heat need to have. Mm-hmm. I think you can get AD off his game, especially mentally, way more than LeBron for sure. You're not gonna yeah. take LeBron out of a game, but I think you can really minimize Anthony Davis's impact. We saw in game three. Exactly. And they double teamed him hard the whole entire time. And then mm-hmm. half the time they'd fake a double team and he'd pass the ball out right away and they'd get, mm-hmm. you know, turnovers from it or just bad possessions. And so it, it did kind of befuddle him a little bit. And I think they need to to do more of that. I kind of feel like in game four with Bam being out there, they kind of just reverted back to, all right, you know, Bam's got it. And that's yeah, hard for anybody. They, they changed a lot of it back to Bam. Yeah, And, you know, I think, Miami's at their best when they're not necessarily playing through any one guy, just kind of, you know, moving the ball everyone's and cutting everyone's back. moving. Yes. And it's gotta be more fun to play that way too. But mm-hmm. you know, it was just interesting that all we hear about is how Miami was the best, one of the best three point shooting teams and the Lakers were one of the worst, but yeah. you know, they've hit a higher percentage of their threes. They've hit a higher percentage of their shots overall. And it kind of just seemed like in game four, Miami was content to let them shoot. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to work. And I think the zone defense, just real quick, I think the zone defense had a little bit to do with the early success that the Lakers had from there. It allowed them to get hot, and then they carry that back into a man. So, like, they're seeing these shots go in. So now, you know, your KCP's crew, so Rajon Rondo, um, his threes are going in. He's confident he's going to take them more. But real quick, I know that everybody is saying, oh, you know, the the heater down play. And I'm not a big LeBron guy, right? Like, I'm not a hater, but I'm not a lover either. Like, mm-hmm. I, live in, I live in the gray. Right. Um, everyone is saying, ah, oh, the Lakers are going to have this because Miami's injured. I'll have you know that the Lakers are still without Avery Bradley and they're still without DeMarcus Cousins. Right. Wasn't I was in the cars. Yeah. Extremely worried when the season restarted about missing Avery Bradley. I thought he was going to be a huge loss for the Lakers. You know, he's a terrific perimeter defender. He's an extra ball handler to have out there. And he played a significant role for the Lakers yeah, all three year. Point shooter, yeah. And, you know, people just, that's not even really talked about. People just kind of act like he was never there. And, you know, that's a huge loss. If you take, you know, one of those best five players off any other team, they may not even make the finals. You know, and the Lakers have, have kind of dominated up to this point, to, to yeah. be totally honest. I mean, and kind of. They, they have lost, what, two games, two, three games three. so far? So, yeah, they've lost three games. So they've almost dominated. Right. And so, you know what I mean? I just I just feel like that's not any something that nobody's really talked about. DeMarcus Cousins, too. Like, imagine if he was healthy, even if he was just the DeMarcus Cousins from the end of last season. You know, mm-hmm. he was still – he can still produce. He can still shoot. You know, you don't have to have much of a, a jumping ability left anymore, even if he doesn't from the, all his injuries to be able mm-hmm. to still hit threes and, and the pass the ball under rebound. Yeah. Like, and, and, you still know, he's a very skilled player. player. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the Lakers building this team in the offseason kind of people didn't really see the the big picture of what they were trying to do. And I was one of them. I wasn't too sure on the guys that they brought in. They um, waited was, a long time for Kawhi Leonard. A right. long time. And I was I was happier with who they got this offseason versus last year. Last year seemed really odd to me. They signed every guy that can't shoot in the NBA, I felt like. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this year it was kind of you know contrarian again because they you know went super big, it felt like when everybody else was going small. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of shown to be a huge advantage in these playoffs because most of the big guys defense. they went defense though, which is what you were seeing kind of flush right. out. 
in these most, in these, of, most of these big these big athletic guys that they got like you said one they're great defenders and mm-hmm. two i would take a similar player that's six nine over someone that's six two any day of the week i just would correct you know you're not going to shut you're not going to completely stop kevin durant but you can shut down a you know a point guard pretty well you know derrick rose was about as unstoppable of a scoring point guard as i can remember and when miami switched lebron on him in the eastern conference finals it was over over do anything and Mm -hmm. i just think it shows that how versatile they are you know, they've, they signed a lot of guys that don't necessarily have to score or need the ball to really impact the game. You mm-hmm. know, like Rajon Rondo, I mean, he, ha- he likes to have the ball in his hands, but, you know, he can completely control a game without scoring at all. And, yeah. you know, Avery Bradley, you know, helps out on their de- and on defense. Danny Green's a good defender. KCP's a great defender. And I just think, you Kyle know, it Kuzma goes- has turned into a pretty passable defender. Yeah, I'm still on the fence about whether or not I like Kyle Kuzma or not. I don't know. He has some games where he really makes me want to be a fan of his, and then other games where I feel like he's just not there. I feel like he's when I mean, this is a whole nother show that we're getting down. If we talk about Kyle Kuzma, I think that he is. Ah, we, we, we could talk about Kyle Kuzma later. Um, I don't know I, if LA is the best place for him to be. That I could agree with you around. I could um, agree but with regardless, you. he's part of the team and he has played well yeah. enough. For them to this, get to this point, so in a way like, more different role than what he's ever been accustomed to, and it's it's hard for anybody that plays the same position as LeBron on his team to really you know do anything. I've heard him <laughs> listed as guard now, which is not yeah. what no. he's ever ever been. Right, but yeah, um, we can move on. There's one that uh, you know another award that has been named the Executive of the Year. Um, mm-hmm. I want to get your your take on this because I have a I've been hearing a lot about this and I have stuff that I want to get off my chest. I find these shows to be very therapeutic because you're right. a great listener, Austin, and I really appreciate that about you. Well, thank but, you. I've never been told I was a great listener. I'm usually a great talker, but I usually don't stop talking long enough for anybody to have me listen to them. So that's nice. Um, oh, no, no problem, bro. Yeah. Executive of the year. Um, this is one that I have never really been super excited about because I kind of feel like it's the most subjective one and it i this year more than anything it didn't really make sense based on the outcome i think any executive in his position it was lawrence frank of the clippers for anybody that doesn't know correct um, thank you yeah, and i think any executive in his position would have gotten the team put the team together that he put together i mean Kawhi basically told everybody he was going home and going to play in la but he didn't want to play for the lakers and he wanted you know paul george to come with him make it happen or i'm not coming yeah Mm -hmm. i mean he he made a trade to get paul george but he mortgaged the entire future of that franchise for you know a long time Mm -hmm. for a guy that i really feel is not gonna be a viable number two option on a championship team i mean he's good but he's not at the level where i think he's worth that many first round picks um i think it just kind of fell in his lap um i don't know who you'd give it to over him maybe maybe uh miami's gm you know because they've got they put together a pretty good roster they drafted better than probably anybody the last few years um you know and even if it was as of march 11th when the season stopped I can understand it. They were the number two seed in the West. They were everybody's favorite to win. So it made sense a little bit at the time, but I just think it was a, a very easy way to give him the, the award. I don't know if he necessarily did much to earn it. It kind of just seemed like it fell in his lap. Okay. I feel the exact opposite. 
Okay. And I have written out a detailed list. So if it sounds like our reading, I am. I just want to make sure that I have all my thoughts. Right. So Mm -hmm. first off, I want to you you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that this is a a very subjective award. It's voted on by fellow executives. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that if any and I hate to just say, you know, trust the experts. Right. But if anybody understands, like especially when we don't right? like we've never been in a front office we can sit here and say like he was bad he was good whatever right but we really don't know like the can only you imagine trying to convince lebron james to come to your team like how intimidating it would be just to even have a face-to-face meeting like that with him exactly well, right but so this isn't mvp this isn't coach of the year where even though that we don't play basketball on a professional level right mm-hmm. We can see, we can evaluate, we can critique, right? Because it's so accessible, so available, you know, easy mm-hmm. to digest for those who care to do so, right? Right. It, you can't do that with executive year as yeah. much as you can with other awards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the court play, um, although they were, like you mentioned, they were second in the West with almost zero chemistry or a fully healthy roster for, I would say, 80% of the year being modest. Mm-hmm. It could be more than that, right? Um, on the court play has less of an impact as opposed to moves that were made is how I look at executive of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. But also understand that Lawrence Frank had zero leverage in any decision that was made. Okay. Because it's not just when we look at this, right. When we saw what happened, yes, Kawhi Leonard did say that he wanted to go back home, but there was still a lot of ambiguity on one, the team that he would go to, right. Because, mm-hmm. Rumor had it that the Lakers, who were across the hall from the Clippers, were very interested in adding him to their team, right? So Mm -hmm. rumor has it that he could have gone to L.A. had he not got what he wanted, right? Or he could have did a one-on-one with Toronto and joined Mm -hmm. a very popular competitive 2021 draft class and signed with other people. It would have been easier Mm -hmm. to get the deal done. And he could have probably made a run back to the finals had he gone back, right? So there's that. So in, in... in just the in just the negotiations with Kawhi Leonard, they had to compete with him not having to go there, right? Mm-hmm. They had to compete with him going across the hall to the Lakers. And you mentioned he wanted to play with Paul George. He also so there's been a lot of reports ever since that this happened that Kevin Durant and Jimmy Butler were also guys that he wanted to play with. Mm-hmm. What did those two have in common? They were going to be free agents. So right they would have been easier for Lawrence Frank to get correct as opposed mm-hmm. to trading with another team. Right. So they didn't make those, they didn't get those deals done. So then they had to trade. Now what happens when you're an executive of another team other than Lawrence Frank and you hear your phone ring and Hey man, it's Lawrence. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to make a deal with you. What are you thinking? I can ask for the world because He's going to make a deal not only for the guy that I have that is under contract with my team. I can keep, regardless of how unhappy he is, I can mm-hmm. keep him, right? They have to make a deal for that, and I can negotiate it as to where, like, hey, look, man, if I'm helping you out, you're going to be landing two superstars. I need a trade package that is big enough to demand two superstars, which is where we've seen the biggest trade as far as assets in the NBA history because mm-hmm. it was negotiated as a trade for two superstars because if they don't get Paul George they don't get Kawhi Leonard right right so no negotiate or no leverage in those negotiations either so like mm-hmm. he has no negotiate or no leverage with Kawhi Leonard Paul George or Sam Presti right 
but he gets it done. He had, he did have to give up SGA and Doc Rivers is probably thinking to himself, I've won a ring before. If I get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I can get us a championship mm-hmm. and he's probably communicating that to Lawrence Frank, right? So he's right. getting boosted by Doc Rivers on top of all of this, right? Mm-hmm. So fast forward to the buyout and the trade deadline. He adds Marcus Morris and he gets Reggie Jackson and also signs former defensive player of the year, Joaquin Noah on this team. Mm -hmm. So all of these moves prior to them having that major collapse against the Denver Nuggets were looked at as some of the best negotiation practices that you could ever see done. He did the impossible Mm -hmm. with almost, I I would say zero, but I would give you almost zero leverage in any of these deals which is why i felt like and you mentioned earlier if you don't give it to him who else you give it to is landing jimmy butler a a milestone achievement for a team that has championship experience in miami heat it's a good move but like Mm -hmm. is it a milestone move or is it more impressive to land who paul george before again before these playoffs was viewed at as a dynamic two-way star Mm -hmm. and Kawhi leonard on this team and adding Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, and Joakim Noah, I I felt like he was very deserving. Myself. You know, after you mentioned all the the signings that they made at the deadline, you know, I could did kind of forget about that. They they kind of beat the Lakers to just about every guy they wanted. It seemed mm-hmm. like you know they got basically whoever they wanted, and you know I think at that point it was you know more of a sense of okay you know they've got Kawhi and Paul George like I want to go play with them to get a title, but mm-hmm. you know they don't. Obviously, they don't get a, a whole lot of say in where they go at the trade deadline. But I, I think he benefited a little bit from being in L.A. Um, to an extent. But I, I don't disagree with anything that you said. You know, you made a lot of good points. Um, I want to change my answer to who I think who I thought should probably get it, though. You might even make a case for Oklahoma City for Sam Presti. Yeah. Uh, so, Sam you know, Presti would be my number two. You know, the way he he got rid of that Westbrook contract that nobody Mm -hmm. thought it was ever going to be able to move. You know, they basically retooled this entire roster and they got a draft pick too. And they got a ton of draft picks. Well, I'm saying just in that one. Oh, I know. But I just mean like, look, the future is brighter than Oklahoma city than just about anywhere else. If they can draft well. And that's, which is where, yeah, that's where you can't really award it to him because his moves haven't come to fruition yet. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. if, and, yeah. You know, I mean, I think in the, his track record of drafting has, has been fairly impressive. You know, I think he's made mistakes after that point. I think the Correct. James Harden trade was one of the worst trades in, in recent memory. But at the time, it wasn't looked at as that terrible. You know, Kevin Martin was a, a legitimate starter in the NBA. Yeah, Martin was a good player. And, you know, by all accounts... I don't think got Jeremy Lamb, who was looked at as a decent prospect. I don't understand how, if you've got to decide between giving money to Harden or Ibaka, you pick Ibaka. But you know, it was a different league then. I think I think big men were a little more valued than they are now. Correct. And you know, Harden wasn't quite Harden yet. Um, but that's a totally different story. But uh, they also paid Nick Collinson and Kendrick Perkins too. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, oh, Kendrick Perkins, he he makes me laugh every time I see him on TV. <sighs> Did you see his comment that he said he thinks he could average 50 points a game in today's NBA? Dude couldn't even average five in his. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Guys, I'll tell you what. It's when you said earlier about, you know, listen to the experts, I think with something like a GM award, that 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 is true. Yes, yeah, not a player. 
I think I was just going to say the last opinion that I really value is of '90s NBA star talking about how soft everybody today is because they're oh, yeah. super, they're the most competitive people in the world, and they mm-hmm. always are going to think they're better than whoever else you're talking about, and, it's, and yeah. they're going to prop up the guys they played against to make that case. Well, just but, to go off a quick rabbit hole, real quick, Paul, you, you don't even have to go back that far. Paul Pierce, he said, you know, like my generation is out of the NBA now; everyone's afraid of LeBron, like. Do you not remember what you did in order to beat LeBron? Like, since you're not right. afraid of him, like you got Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and you had also recently Ray said Trump. that if he was if he changed places with Dwayne Wade, he'd have four or five rings. And because he said, if you gave me a healthy LeBron and healthy Chris Bosh at 24 or five years old, I'd have at least four or five titles. For one, Dwayne Wade was almost 30 when LeBron got there. He wasn't 24 or five. He'd mm-hmm. spent the last two years getting the crap beat out of him because he was the only player they had and all he did was attack the rim game after game i never and, saw paul pierce have an 06 run like Dwayne wade had right, exactly paul pierce doesn't strike me as the guy that's gonna basically win you a finals by himself like that i mean it's just it never happened we've seen and, paul pierce heavy boston celtics teams and they were he had moments i'm not saying he's a bad player but like but, i mean were, there was a reason they went out and got two future hall of famers to pair with him just to correct. be lebron so correct um, but anyway, uh, you know, I this the executive of the year is an award that I've never really paid a whole lot of attention to in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you made a good case for it. And I think his trade deadline deals kind of bolstered that a lot. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he was at the right place at the right time for this whole Kawhi Leonard thing. I mean, obviously, you do have to make it work. It was easy. Like, everyone has to make it work. He wanted to be there because he also had to negotiate with another team in the same conference as him to say, Hey, make us better, please. Right. So that can, is true. You know I, I mean? He like, got he did a pretty good job of of you know getting with, the best again, no leverage. best player off of another team. You know, how <laughs> yeah. often is it is there a team that has two legitimate, you know, perennial all-stars that just decides, hey, we're gonna blow it up. Paul George have- was what third in MVP voting just last season. So like again, yeah. like you can you can criticize this playoff performance all you want, but like not a trash player. No, and not it, at all. Yeah, Just like, not what I think a lot of people... Not as advertised, probably. Right, and maybe not as much as, as what he kind of thinks of himself, I feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't really have any argument with who won it. I don't even really know who I would pick other than maybe the two guys that I mentioned over it. You know, I think it's funny to me that they were ta- they were interviewing LeBron and they were talking about how he felt like he got slided out of the MVP and how AD got slided out of the defensive player of the year award. And they asked him about, and they, right. And they asked him about, you know, the GM of the year award and if their GM felt like if he felt like that, he got overlooked and he goes, you know, that's, that's not for me to answer. And it's just like the Lakers don't need any more fake motivation to, you know, get themselves going. They don't, they're about to, they're about to get a ring. So, I mean, I think, it's just funny how the storylines go. If you really listen to interviews and what players have to say, I think a lot of times, as soon as players get out of media stuff that they almost laugh at the, at the reporters of for course. some of the questions that they I ask. Heard, like I heard um, Jimmy Butler get asked, what are the keys to victory? 
against the Lakers in their last game or for this upcoming game. And he said, score more points. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, at the end of the day, like what really do you want him to say? Because a couple years ago in the finals, when LeBron started rattling off six or seven plays in a row and exactly what happened, everybody looked at him like he had two heads, mm-hmm. like, you know, or they made fun of him for trying to prove that he had this great basketball mind. And I really just, you know, thinking back to when I played sports in school and whatever, and as a kid, like, in a big game, you kind of just remember everything that happens, you know, especially mm-hmm. an hour after the game. It's not that it's not that hard. But I think mm-hmm. all these guys just, you know, kind of have that Marshawn Lynch feel where they're just here so they don't get fined. They just answer right. questions because they have to. Um, it's not very often that you see them actually have to answer a tough question. And mm-hmm. my wife loves to make fun of like the po- like the in between quarter interviews and stuff. How you can script exactly what every player is ever going to say every time because they all give the same you know canned answers, and it's kind of true. And then you know you see a guy like Jimmy Butler out there, you know, actually talking, you know, speaking the truth of how he feels and not you know really censoring himself. And for and a while, you're not going to give up like. Oh, here's exactly what we're going to do to be at the right. Los Angeles Lakers. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to how how do you stop LeBron James? You go ahead and tell me because nobody in 17 years has figured it out. So if we do that, we might win. Yeah, but it just I don't know. Um, so that was just kind of made me laugh a little bit that they had to go so far as try to talk about the executive of the year award to, you know, maybe fire them up some more. I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of awards, we're going to roll into um, an award that that we wanted to discuss, you know, the possibility yes. of it being even named tonight before we get into your um, NBA gossip column. Uh, finals MVP, who who do you think is most deserving of the award? Um, I would have to give it to, to LeBron. Um, I think that there's before game three, there was a little bit of an argument, but yep, uh, not so much anymore. And not like LeBron had some amazing outing in game three, but AG, AD just disappeared. And yeah, I mean, if he had had like back-to-back 50-point games after that, maybe he could get back in the conversation. <laughs> but That might do it for him. I yeah. think if you talk about what makes the Lakers a championship team and why they're even here and what makes them go, I mean, it's LeBron James first, second, and third really to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just needs a talented athletic you know, Batman or Robin to his Batman. And he can kind of, he's kind of shown as long as he has at least one other all-star level player, he can pretty much get there anytime he wants. So I just think he's made a great case. You know, if you look back at uh, finals MVP awards of the last few years, his numbers are right on par with everybody else, you know, a little bit higher assists in the last couple, you know, Kevin Durant averaged 35 two years ago. So that was a little bit more, but I mean, he has almost yeah. the same stat line to Kawhi Leonard last year, uh, just even a little bit better. And, you know, Anthony Davis has been right up there too. I just feel like, you know, it come when it's this close statistically, it comes down to the eye test for me. And, you know, you watch the games, you see LeBron James doing everything. And yeah. Anthony Davis, while he's shot amazingly well, and he has played terrifically well. He just he hasn't had any of those like big signature moments that kind of make me feel like it's swung in his favor. So yeah, so um, I agree with a lot of what you just said. And just to give people a rundown of what LeBron James mm-hmm. is averaging right now, just also just to make it clear, he is my um, selection for Finals MVP as well. Um, right now he's shooting fifty four percent from the floor, thirty six percent from deep, seventy one 
50% from the free throw line. He's giving you almost 28 points a game, 11 boards, almost nine assists, um, four turnovers, which is pretty high, right? Um, and three quarters of a steal on a block every game. So he's not slouching on defense as a lot of people like to criticize him for. He's not necessarily always taking the toughest defensive assignment, but he is far from being a, a, you know, a problem on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you mentioned, the first two games, I actually had Anthony Davis ahead of him because of the defensive side, because that you know game one was such a dominant performance by Anthony Davis. Um, but as the series has unfolded before our eyes, uh, one, I think that you can't give it to Jimmy Butler because if LeBron James wasn't awarded a finals MVP in a losing effort while he was in Cleveland, you can't give it to a Jimmy Butler right. against uh, an, uh, an L.A. team. You just can't do that. Um, game three uh, has to eliminate AD, barring a catastrophic collapse from LeBron James tonight or moving forward if it advances past tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and AD, like you mentioned, has to put up a ridiculous game. Um, which I don't see happening. But if we're looking at what actually has happened, LeBron has taken more shots than uh, AD in every game except game one. And even then, it was only four shots. So if you're looking at all the other games combined, LeBron James has been the guy, right? He's And every once in a while, you have like your Andre Iguodala to get a finals MVP or a Kawhi Leonard to get one. They only get them when they stop the best player. And I say stop loosely, like when they hamper him in enough clutch moments enough. Considering the stat line LeBron put up that year that Andre Iguodala wanted, I would be a far cry from saying he stopped anybody. I mean, he did all right. I guess he he had a couple key moments, right? Like in that, and that's enough. And sometimes it's all takes. Is like sometimes. I said, a big signature moment. If you're the winner, but Jimmy Butler, you can't get it. If you're the loser, and AD, like again, Game Three should automatically disqualify him unless LeBron James has a similar outing, which I highly doubt is going to happen. Like I would really be surprised. I hope that I'm. I hope that I'm right. I hope that he doesn't collapse. But that's what it would take in my eyes right now for AD to surpass LeBron James to me it's not even close I don't understand like how people are saying well look at what AD is doing on defense yeah sure okay like that's one side of the floor look what it, if you compare LeBron James's defense to AD's offense over this series I would say that LeBron James even though he hasn't had as flashy a defensive moments he's been very consistent whereas Anthony Davis that game three I'm sorry you took one shot in the fourth quarter of that game one only shot. took nine shots the whole game, and it's not like he was, you know, hurting his team by taking shots. He, was, he made six of them. He was still shooting every bit as well as he has all throughout the whole series. He just didn't yeah. show up. Yeah. So, like, if you're if you're disappearing in the fourth quarter, like, and not only just disappearing in the fourth quarter, but you have another teammate who's consistently plugging away. Like game two, you you would have. I had I had to go back and look, but like you would have thought that Anthony Davis scored way more points than LeBron James, mm-hmm. but LeBron actually outscored him, albeit right. by it was only one. Still outscored him by a point, right? So LeBron, and you know, and what you ahead. just said like, about his game three performance versus game four, at least for LeBron, like he actually shot better from the field in game three and made one more shot on the same number of attempts as he did in game four. But it mm-hmm. just it goes to show you that you know watching the game and reading a box score are two totally different things. Exactly. And and like you say, if you just watch the eye test, like 
I will say it and that Anthony Davis does have a lot of very flashy moments. So like they're the the highlights for AD are a lot more, you know, aesthetically pleasing as they like to say than some of LeBron James's highlight plays, right? right? But LeBron has just been that consistent motor without him, like you mentioned. They're they're not gonna do anything close. If LeBron put up fifteen if LeBron had that AD performance in game three, it would have been a far bigger victory than 11 so, points. Facebook you know? might have crashed. People would have been hating on him so bad. Correct. So I just, I don't understand the, and again, like maybe like is what you mentioned earlier, like maybe people are just tired of saying the same thing. It's It's got to be LeBron James fatigue. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not like a LeBron James lover, but I'm not a hater either. And I don't understand how it could possibly be anybody else but LeBron James right now. I, I don't think I don't understand it. If you if to me the most valuable player means that they bring the most to their team on mm-hmm. a consistent basis. And if you took AD off this team, how would they look versus if you took LeBron off this team and they would look. Uh, I think it's not even close comparison in that terms because Well, you did have AD taken off the team in game 3. <laughs> you yeah, know you got and, to see at least that part. And it still took a, you know, otherworldly performance from Jimmy Butler for them to beat the Lakers. His first know? ever triple double to beat LeBron. Third 40 point triple double in finals history. Yeah. You know, he's the only other guy besides the logo, Jerry West, and LeBron to to do that. So that's and pretty it took, company. And it took those terrible, you know, KCP shooting 20% from the floor, Alex Caruso shooting 25, Danny Green going 0 for 6 from the floor. It's not like LeBron wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like LeBron right. was still, he had 25, 10, and 8 in two blocks in that game. Shot 52% from the floor. Mm-hmm. Like, And you know, like I, I think one of the knocks earlier in his career that people had on LeBron was he, he's not the greatest shooter and he's not super efficient. Well, that's completely out of the window now. I mean, granted, you're going to be fairly efficient when you take 80% of your shots within like, three feet of the rim but but he's not even putting up that many shots like you mentioned earlier he's not like like game four Mm -hmm. you know you look back at at box scores from playoffs in the past even for lebron or just any other you know big time scorer like look at kobe's last finals like he Mm -hmm. was taking 25 30 shots every single night and you know everybody knew that he had the ball in his hands the whole time and he did everything and LeBron's had the ball in his hands a lot. His usage rate is is up there where it always is, mm-hmm. but it just he hasn't. He's figured out a way to control the game without, you know, just jacking up a bunch of shots. He doesn't ever really feel panicked, right? I've never yeah. felt watching an, another NBA player, and this is including Michael Jordan. I, I was almost too young to really, you know, appreciate what we were seeing, but I've never had the feeling that going into a game this guy is the favorite to win every time mm-hmm. and it, other than maybe last year two years ago in the finals when the warriors had katie and he One did the best rosters ever assembled. exactly arguably yeah. the you know the the best like you said but you know any on any other occasion i almost always feel like lebron's team is the favorite to win and you can't really say that about anybody else like well, he 10 is years the, in the finals will kind of give you that, you know, mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy feeling, you know. Right. And that's 
even that is just the fact that people just kind of brush that off like, oh, well, he lost six times. Yeah, but look who he had to play against. And has anybody else been there that many times in your lifetime? I mean, not even close. Like yeah. he's got more finals appearances than all but like three franchises or four franchises, I think I saw, mm-hmm. you know, by himself. And it's just we've become completely desensitized to how good he is. He's more skilled and smarter than he's ever been right now. And he's one of the only players I can even think of that whose physical abilities haven't really declined with that age. I was going to say, he's still a physical freak of nature. Mm -hmm. Like, even though he's not as athletic as he used to be. Well, I mean, in in 2010, when he joined Miami, he was dunking the ball with his head above the top of the backboard. He was jumping so high on some of those alley-oops that Dwayne Wade would throw him. I mean, it was just unreal. Mm -hmm. And he may not have quite that jumping ability anymore, but you can't tell me that when he puts his head down and goes to the rim, he's not the best rim attacker in the league. You know, you can't stop that. Tyler Hero, right? Like, Right. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, just like – Look, even like comparing it to the the '90s or Michael Jordan again, because that's usually who people compare him to. Imagine Carl Malone playing point guard and just going full speed ahead over and over, attacking the rim. Who I mean, maybe Dennis Rodman would do okay against him in that situation. But yeah, imagine the spirit. Yeah, imagine the spirit of Magic Johnson just inserted itself into the body of Carl Malone. Right, (laughs) that's what you you have the, the court vision of the greatest point guard ever basically and mm-hmm. the body of, of a physical freak of nature power forward mm-hmm. and you know i think people sometimes almost take off a little bit of credit for lebron because of his size like it's not his fault he's as big and strong as he is if anything you know he should be praised for how he's taking care of his body well there are no shortage of people that praise him i mean like oh, I again like, this is Trust me living me. in the middle like there are no shortage of people that praise him right. like as, as much as you're getting on to uh you know, to, to critics of him, which again, rightfully so, because he does get his, you know, too much share of criticism. There are also enough people that, um, that think that he literally walks on water, you know? So like, I don't feel bad for LeBron James getting criticism because I see the type of praise that he gets as well. And, you know, making $30 million a year kind of eases all those troubles. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about it the other day and it's like, LeBron James is arguably the most hated human being in terms of social media in the world. You know, he probably gets more negative. I couldn't imagine what the 90s would have looked like with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all these other things, you know. But you never see him ever really get upset about it you never see him lose his cool or get mentally taken out of the out of a game not in not in a decade at least since maybe 2011 i think i think he kind of you know had a a pretty bad meltdown in the finals in 2011 but Mm -hmm. since then it's it's pretty rare that he really gets flustered by anything or lets any of this stuff affect him and you know in this day and age any publicity is kind of the same whether it's good or bad because it's Mm -hmm. all measured in clicks and views and stuff like that so at the end of the day it doesn't really matter so much anymore they're saying good things about you or bad things about you if you can if you can block that out because he's still getting paid 30 million dollars a year by nike just to wear their shoes so yeah that's just one source of income by the way he he's definitely i mean like he gets hated on and has more bad stuff said about him than anybody but he's you know 
he's still everybody wants him and everybody wants to pay him to do this or that. And, you know, he's got nothing to worry about. So for sure. I try not to be too much of a defender of his, but I find it harder and harder now that he's a Laker. I've mm-hmm. always respected his game and liked him and thought he was, a you know, one of the two or three best players ever. But uh, it's hard not to root for the guy when he's on your favorite team. So I, I could only imagine. I've never, you know, had had the had the pleasure, but um, yeah. I, I'll just have to take your word on it. Like I mentioned earlier, oh, I'll it's, take the it's definitely you. fun. It's definitely fun. There you go. Well, we are at the point of the show where we reached your your brainchild, the NBA gossip column. Do you want to go ahead and? I uh, I hate to let you down this week, but I don't really have a whole lot. If you have anything you want to discuss, we can kind of go on the fly. But I've had a busy last couple of days, and no, I got you, and I, I I'm going to hook you up. But I want awesome. you to kind of bring it in, and it's about the the coaching rumor that we heard about and discussed a little bit prior to the show. Do you want to go ahead and let the listeners know kind of who we're talking about, how you found out about it, and uh, kind of oh, what yeah, you're. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, last week we unveiled this new segment. We called it the NBA gossip column where I just kind of brought up some, you know, stories that were about the NBA, but not really about the actual product on the court. And, you know, we got into some coaching hires and, you know, there's still some coaching jobs available. And um, on Brian Windhorst's podcast, either this week or last week, Tim McMahon was a guest on the show. And, um, that's he, the Hoops Collective podcast, yeah, right? It's, sorry, it's the Hoops Collective. It's part it's of the ESPN network, right. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, sure is. But he he said on Wendy's show that as far as he knows, he's pretty sure that Jeff Van Gundy, not, not Stan Van Gundy, the one right. that has coached recently, Jeff Van Gundy, the one who's been in the booth for almost 10 years, mm-hmm. um, is the front runner for the Houston Rockets job, a team that he already coached before. Mm-hmm. that all you ever hear about in the NBA nowadays is why do we keep rehiring the same guys? Mm-hmm. And Daryl Morey has been kind of talked about as this, you know, enlightened NBA mind that somehow always figures out a way to improve his team or try new things. And he of all people wants to go and hire a former coach that used to coach this team before and mm-hmm. hasn't coached in almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. It just, it makes no sense to me. We hear all these names about these hot, prospects and all these you know assistants that are longtime assistants that everybody says deserves a job and like Wes Unsold Jr. with the Nuggets you know the Nuggets defense this year was terrific and he's credited with all of that and you hear anybody talk about him he deserves a head coaching job I just would love to see teams give these guys a chance instead of just giving us this lip service making it seem like they're you know actually looking at these guys when you know somebody that you know, like the same thing that happened with John Gruden, somebody that hasn't coached in forever goes back and mm-hmm. he's probably going to get paid a ton of money if he does take the job. And, you know, I just, I don't know what they're expecting out of it. So, yeah, well, I want to address a couple things things that you just brought up that were great points that I wasn't thinking about in the short time that I had to prepare for this segment. I was listening. I mentioned Sirius XM radio Sirius, If you're listening, you know, we would appreciate your sponsorship, but, sure. um, you know, I was listening to Sirius XM radio and I was listening to a show on there. I'm still new to the to the programming. So it was either like no look pass or give and go. I think it was no look pass where they got, uh, you know, um, Zach on there. Um, but um, I mean, uh, El Hassan was on there and he was talking and he was saying, um, I know exactly what the next Houston Rockets head coach is going to look like. 
and uh it wasn't like a like a like a skin thing or anything it was as far as like achievements and you know accolades and things like that he said well because you know the the owner of the rockets you know predominantly receives his funds from you know hotels and restaurants things that people need to be in he's going to go on the cheap so it's not going to be a very expensive head coach which is very contrary to what we just heard because for van gundy to leave the booth it's going to take a little bit of money he's probably I don't know if he's going to be the highest paid NBA head coach. I don't expect that, but he is not going to be the the, the cheapest hiring, right? right. That's a pretty sweet deal to leave the booth where you just get to sit unless and watch he games. Is dying, unless he is absolutely, which he has been rumored to want to be coaching basically ever since he's hit the booth. So, like, maybe he's yeah. just, I w- can't wait for the details of that contract to come out. But mm-hmm. I just found that, you know, Amin was saying that, and he's, he's a former front office, you know, executive. Like, he knows a little about a little bit so i just found it very funny that now we're hearing that he's a front runner and what's crazy is like he's been a front runner since at least back in february like this has been like low-key reported and recorded all throughout the year and i never really took much stock into it because again like van gundy's always been rumored to want to be both of both of the van gundy's right they've both been Mm -hmm. rumored to want to come back and coach and things like that and like you mentioned earlier, Stan to me, you know, the pick and roll off, like he ran a very, you know, today's NBA offense, right. you know, in Orlando in his heyday and, you know, not a bad defensive mind either, you know? So I figured that he Stan would get, deal. yeah. So I, I would have taken Stan over Jeff and here to me, this sits terribly with me and I have four reasons why. For one, I enjoy Van Gundy where he is. Um, he's obviously knowledgeable of the NBA, right? He's coached, you know, and he's very entertaining. What I think should disqualify him is that I don't like, like you mentioned earlier, I don't like listening to old heads talk about how the NBA is worse today than it used to be in aspects, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't enjoy people bashing the league that they're actually covering and getting paid for it. But if he's an analyst, like, I can get behind that because you're trying to appeal to a certain, you know, fan base or certain you know, age demographic within the right. NBA community. Like I get that, but if you're going to coach, that's completely different. Like, how are you going to bash the way that the NBA is officiated, which he was fine, like the heaviest in NBA history for, for, you know, mm-hmm. criticizing officiating. Right. So how are you going to, you know, while you already have a history of questioning officiating, make fun of it constantly, you know, and just make fun of the way that all these players play the game that you're now going to coach. How are you going to command, you know, the respect of these players? Right. That's one that I have. <laughs> I want to add something real quick to what you just said. My biggest lasting memory of Jeff Van Gundy will always be him getting drug around by <laughs> Patrick Ewing's foot or when he, that big fight between the heat and the Knicks. Yeah. And if you, you want to talk about, you know, gaining the respect of your team and, you know, not being laughed at or made fun of, like he's, he's got his work cut out for him to say the least. But I think that if anything boosts the respect level of Van Gundy, it was the fact that he was willing to cling on to the leg of right. just a, a physical freak of nature. And Patrick, he did, his best. he did his, I mean, he did probably, he, he did better than I would have done. I promise right. you that. It just kind of that whole scene just goes to show you like what a normal, normal average size person looks like against these guys. And he's not a normal average size guy either. At least I don't think like right. in my memory, he's probably bigger than you or I. But right. Well, you're but if he just looks am, tiny, so. yeah, you know, looks like in that scene. Yes. 
It looks like a human being. So that was one aspect that mm-hmm. I had that didn't sit well with me. Secondly, I don't like signing. You, know, you mentioned earlier how it's been about 10 years. It's actually been almost 20 years. Like this dude, the last year that he's like mm-hmm. credited as an NBA head coach is 2007. Wow. Right. So like this even further back. I don't mm-hmm. like the signing of a guy that's been out of the league that long. And he hasn't advanced past the first round since 1999-2000 season. Oof. So you're talking about, you know, six, seven years after that, he had never advanced past the first round. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get that he has a 57, you know, winning percentage for his career, but I mean, that's inexcusable. Like 99 to 2000, it's literally been 20 years since he's advanced past the first that's round. Crazy. And he had T Mac and Yao Ming on all those Rockets teams. They should have at least won a series. Yep. I'm about to bring that up, right? So, thirdly, he was fired by the same team that he's being considered for now. You brought that up earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand that there were different people in charge back then. Right. But how do rock, I want to know how rockets fans feel about this hiring, right? Like you mentioned right. that Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, Shane Battier, you know, Brooks, Scola, like the list goes on and on. This is like people are beating up doc rivers now. Right. How, and Mark Jackson, like people criticize these two guys, like Mark Jackson, like helped, create the dynasty of the golden state warriors right Mm -hmm. he's not he's not being considered for a coaching job over this guy you know what i mean right there's anybody else that could come in like you mentioned anybody else and look at the names that you've seen being interviewed you know sam cassell you know why is he like dudes are not like you mentioned what's the cell jr how are these guys not looked at as I don't know. Maybe this is Steve Kerr syndrome where, you know, he was in the broadcast booth and, you know, maybe he's the guy that turned around, but he's not walking into an easy situation right now. Right. When you look at that roster. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, um, well, actually, there's two more things. Um, If you're tired of hearing about white privilege, you're not going to you're not going to get any shortage of it because Mm -hmm. you don't see the like you're not going to it's not going to go away. And if anything, if you don't agree that there's, I'm not saying maybe it's not as widespread as what everybody just kind of almost is imagining, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. people are making this up. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, you know, it's, could you not see something like this giving credit? Like, how do you make the case for Van Gundy over a Mark Jackson? You know what I mean? Like they both, they're in the booth together. <laughs> they, they, right. they, they, same games and comment together and mark jackson schools him all the time i was gonna say i feel like him and mark jackson have done a lot to kind of develop a rapport between each other because they kind of almost seem like they didn't get along at first Mm -hmm. and they you know they just they have a nice working relationship and it does seem like van gundy he might be playing a character but he kind of almost takes the role of like the the, The stooge yeah the doofus and lets mark jackson you know sound like he knows so much more about him maybe it is he's just you know playing for the for the tv audience but it is weird it is very weird and then the last one that i have is the harden versus van gundy dynamic you know we mentioned about how you know he has come out and said that harden should be lauded for the efforts and all that he does and that he believed and he believed in houston coming into it this year mm-hmm. how much of that is to do with the possibility that he's been rumored to be coaching that team since at least February, if not before. If we're finding out in February, mm-hmm. it happened before then. You know right. what I mean? So 
he's singing all these high praises of this team. I wonder if that has anything to do with him getting a job there, probably, I, right? I mean, so, like, like you said, if he wants people to respect him and listen to him, he can't burn too many bridges. He's got to start mending fences. He's got to start mending them. And then there was, an, there was an anonymous executive, right, that reported that West Harden ain't playing for Van Gundy. This is the executive who, again, is anonymous. That he's not playing, or excuse me, he ain't playing for Van Gundy. It's a players league. Van Gundy is going to want to practice every day. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. He doesn't seem like a good fit. I don't know why he'd want that job. I mean, I get it if it's the only only interview he can get, and he wants to get back into coaching that bad. But if you've been really wanting to be a coach for thirteen years, you know, for one, Daryl that you could take too. By the way, right. but. For one, Daryl Morey likes to kind of build his own coaching staff. He doesn't mm-hmm. really let his head coaches pick his pick their own assistants. And I don't know a whole lot of guys that are in the top level of their profession that like someone else telling them how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, matter what it is, in any instance, like I'm a, a low level supervisor at my job, and I don't even like my boss standing over my shoulder telling me how to run my my part of the building, and he knows ten times more than I do. You know, <laughs> sure. I don't think Daryl Morey probably knows that much more about basketball, if at all, than a guy like Jeff Van Gundy. Um, so that that is one reason I wouldn't probably like this job. And two, are you handcuffed going with small ball? Because you have they've to completely be. built this roster about around that. But I mean, Van Gundy's most notable coaching jobs, he had Patrick Ewing and Yao Ming. You know, mm-hmm. he plays a little bit more traditional style of offense, which I think might might be, you know, appealing to the Rockets and might be a little bit more what they want. But it's not like he can go out and all of a sudden change this whole roster and get them some big men, which they sorely missed against mm-hmm. the Lakers. And say what you want. And but they need they needed a, a post presence. And another thing is, I think we've kind of seen how far a James Harden led team can go. I don't know if there's much X's and O's wise you can do to to get further. He's he's as good as he's probably going to be. He is who he is. He has to have the ball in his hands to to really be effective. And he is super effective. But we've yeah. seen time and time again that it. it he falters in the, in the playoffs. And I just, I guess, I mean, if, like you said, if you're dying to get back into coaching, then I would, you know, obviously any coaching job in the NBA would be great and fun and awesome to have. There's only 30 of them. Right. And, you know, so there's some prestige to it as well, but to, to pull me out of my cushy job as a commentator that gets to be on TV and show my personality and gets paid probably pretty well and doesn't have to, doesn't really have to prepare okay right like he hasn't never really had to prepare how to beat a guy like lebron james he's never had to game plan for in a long in like you said in 13 years since he's had to like really dive in and and put that much time into his work because i mean i'm i know for a fact that nba teams like a coaches in general pro pro coaches in general work so much it's insane you know Mm -hmm. you hear all the time about how when they quit it's to go spend more time with their family it's because they're never home you know Mm -hmm. and it's it's not all it's cracked up to be i don't think and for someone that's already been a coach at multiple places in the nba that has been away from it for so long if it were me it would take a lot to get me to go back to it well yeah one one thing that i heard uh tim legler saying about 
coming into coaching James Harden. Mm-hmm. And I liken him to not Carmelo Anthony now because I think Melo is now humble. Mm-hmm. But I liken him a lot to Carmelo Anthony because he's going to play his way no matter who the head coach is, no matter how much talent you have around him, no matter how much little or how little talent you have around him. He's going to play the same way. But what Tim, what Legler was saying on the No Look Pass show that I was listening to mm-hmm. is that you know that that, as an NBA head coach, you know that that is not winning basketball. You right. know that that is not the right way to play basketball. But in a player empowerment league, James Harden, James Harden, we've seen it. He's going to outlast Kevin Kale. He's going to outlast Mike D'Antoni. He's going to outlast pretty pretty decent names as far as you know players or coaches so you're going to have to you're going to have to play the way that he wants to play although that you know that's not winning basketball James Harden at this point in his career he's not just all of a sudden going to start being this excellent bring the ball up the court kick it to a player and then make a hard cut to make right. life harder on the defense he's not just going to start doing this now and if you bring in a coach who if you bring in a coach and he's going to be that type of guy, is that Jeff Van Gundy? Like he seems like a tough guy in the booth now. Like I'll give him that. He seems like this is nonsense. Like, you know, when I coached or when I played, you know, the New York Knicks, you know, Patrick Ewing never would, you know what I mean? Like he, he seems like a tough guy in the booth. I would love to, I, I almost can't wait to see somebody who criticizes the NBA the way he does almost kind of get what he has coming to him in a Mm -hmm. sense, even though I like Van Gundy right? uh, as, as a, as a personality, as an NBA, you know, talking head. Mm -hmm. But again, this goes back to my first point that I just can't stand when you hear people talk so much noise about the NBA and then be like, Oh, okay. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to go and coach it. Like Mm -hmm. one, you're not going to coach all the players in the NBA. So you're not changing the way the game is played. You're going to have to adapt and overcome the things that you criticize and you're going to find out that it's a lot harder than what it looks like up in that booth. Uh, you know, what do we always talk about when we talk about the the greatest coaches of all time that are able to kind of adjust to the mm-hmm. talent that they have? Greg Popovich is about the only one that comes to mind that's really set in his ways with how he does things. You know, Phil Jackson but he, didn't he change. He went from three point heavy to now none at all. Like he right, and you know, I think he does. He is open to change, but I just feel like he's a little bit less worried about the trends of today's NBA versus some other guys. At this point in his career, as successful as he's been, like he's already done it all. You know what I mean? Right. Like. But, you know, like even like Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson didn't coach the triangle offense when he started coaching. You know, somebody taught it to him and they figured it might be the best way to to get success out of a Michael Jordan led team. And it worked. So they went with it. You Mm -hmm. know, um, Pat Riley, Pat Riley's kind of done things differently everywhere he's been. You know, his -hmm. Knicks teams looked way different than the Showtime Lakers. And these Miami Heat teams look, you know, are different than those than those teams. Mm -hmm. And it's just you have to be able to adjust to who you have on the roster. And it's going to be the biggest adjustment you'll ever have to make as a coach coaching that roster. I feel like because one of the small ball and two, like you said, the only way I could see James Harden changing his game is if somehow they were able to bring in another, you know, superstar that was even more enigmatic and ball dominant than him. It would have to be like LeBron or Kevin Durant. Because, it would have Steph Curry, you know, right, because he's at the point now where he's so good that 
he can kind of be like, you know, no one's going to tell me how to play. Like, is he really going to say, you know what, Jeff Van Gundy, you're right. You have reached me. We're going to let off. We're going to let Daniel house jr. Handle the ball the most, you know, or we're going to let somebody else bring the ball up from now on. I'm going to play off the ball for the first time in my career. Oh, and and I'm going to cut too. And screen. I'm going to do all of those things. No, it's not. He's ever been considered one of the most in shape guys in the NBA, even though he has, that has, gotten a lot better i feel like you know it used to be a lot bigger of a story now he, he does try a crazy amount of minutes too even though he's right. labeled as out of shape so like, it's like a nikola Jokic type thing you know mm-hmm. where how out of shape but can I, you he, be if you can play he in just his doesn't strike game. me as the type of athlete that wants to spend 45 minutes a night running around without the ball in his hands you know reggie miller richard Perfect. hamilton guys like that they love that kind of basketball you mm-hmm. know they want to be constantly moving but you know Harden basically likes to stand there and cross guys over, you know, Carmelo Anthony. That, yeah. That's why like, he's this mm-hmm. generation's Carmelo. Very Anthony. true. Very Great true. Player. He's, I can see him. He's, he's not going to age well unless he figures out that he's going to have to take a backseat to somebody at some point. Yeah. But I don't think that's, we're not at that point yet. I no. just he's don't still performing at an MVP level. I don't see any future where they win a title with Harden unless it's in a secondary role like later on in his career because if he's traded to golden state like that could be like you're not gonna turn him into a a different type of player and you're not gonna bring in anybody that's gonna be good enough to take the ball out of his hands yeah you he has to be challenged in some way it's got to be like a like you mentioned, like a Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich level NBA head coach coming in, right. not a Jeff Van Gundy. Right. Or, or, or like the league's going to have to just you know forget about him for a year like they did Carmelo and really change his perspective on things. So Yeah, he's, he's going to have to be like, you know what? Like You're not worth the problems that you're bringing now. Like it, It's either going to be age that changes him or it's going to be a high-level personality where mm-hmm. there is a coach with some cojones or a player that is just as good if not better than he is i I totally agree right and this whole thing kind of just tells me like you know people like to say daryl morey is this you know great basketball mind he's you know pretty pretty well thought of gm these innovative or whatever you want to call it I, i think this goes to show you that sometimes they don't really know what they're doing that that really any more than you or me. Well, we still extent. have to see it, like we still have to see it play out. Like maybe he is, maybe he right. is. Like maybe it'll work. Maybe we're not seeing something and it will work. But every time you see an executive or a coach try this innovative new thing and it works, there's probably ten instances of guys just refusing to change the way they've always done things and not being progressive at all. And I just, I always like to think about when people talk about like conspiracy theories, just in life in general, Mm -hmm. it's my rule of thumb that more often than not, it's people not being good at their job than it is something nefarious. And this is the kind of the same thing. Like it's, I just don't know that they're quite as, you know, in control of everything as they'd like you to think all the time. Sometimes, you know, they're just like you or me. Sometimes they're just going on a gut feeling or whatever works out. Yeah. And you know, that's what their tiring feels like is a gut. That's feeling. what I mean. It just, yeah. it's a head scratcher for me. It doesn't seem like something Daryl Morey would even consider. Yeah. I don't well, know. before we, before we go, I want to get your predictions of tonight's game. Uh, you know, tonight at nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Pacific, mm-hmm. we're going to have game five, right. Of the Lakers heat matchup where the heater down three, one, 
Maybe they're going to do something that LeBron James himself has done against LeBron James. But how do you feel about it, Austin? What do you think? What's your feeling going into tonight's game? Um, I mean, I'm pretty confident that the, we're going to see the last game of the finals tonight. Um, I, I was a little bit worried that it might become a series after game three or, you know, interested that they might be able to tie it up two two, uh, especially with Bam coming back for game four. But they just almost seemed like a different team completely with when they had to rely on Jimmy Butler. He kind of just took over and he's not always been the guy to just take over like that. It's not every night that he just you know, controls the show and does like, does that, even though I think he could, it's just not his game. And I think they kind of need to play that way, but I don't think they will with Bam being back. And I think they'll, they'll kind of revert back to what we saw in game four in the first couple games of the series. And I just think, you know, LeBron smells blood. He wants to win that fourth ring. Uh, I think, you know, AD got his bad game out of the way. And I just don't, I don't see Miami having a whole lot of chance to win this game. I could be wrong, but um, I think it'll be it'll be entertaining. It'll be fairly close, but I, I ultimately think we'll see the Lakers win win the ring tonight. Yeah, I share those same thoughts as well. Now, again, we could be wrong. We've been wrong in the series before when mm-hmm. Amon Drogic went out for Game Three. Like I was like, right. that's and it's like they saying no chance. But mm-hmm. like you mentioned, it almost felt like Jimmy kind of has to be back against the wall and has to be the only guy that can make anything happen for him and others around him in order for that team to win with Bam back. We saw not as much as I really thought was going to happen, but we did, we did see Bam have offense run through him, albeit he did only have one assist for that game. Um, ball still was in his hands a lot. He was still making you know reads and things like that. Um, maybe we'll see that step up a little bit more tonight, or maybe they'll just go say, you know what, Jimmy <laughs> – we got to be perfect tonight. The closest we were to perfect was when you had the mm-hmm. ball in your hands, like every possession. You know, maybe they go back to that game three mentality and right. Bam is kind of there for show almost. Maybe maybe drop. Jimmy Butler will just take the ball and say, hey, follow me. I'm going to do this regardless of what our game plan is because he seems like the type of guy to do that. But yeah. that being said, are they going to have another terrible game from AD? Are they going to have another no-show from KCP and Danny Green? Is LeBron going to get called for two travels in a row in the fourth quarter and have four turnovers down the stretch? You know, I'm telling you, everything had to be perfect for that game. A lot of stuff and, went wrong. And I don't, game. like you mentioned, and you're forgetting Alex Caruso, too, like had a bad game. Mm-hmm. Um, they got good games from Morris and Kuzma. Are they going to trust those guys in larger minutes than the 22, 23 minutes that they got? We mentioned that Frank Vogel's pretty committed to his lineups. We've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did have to suffer three losses the entire playoffs because of his stubborn ways, right? So um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, right. It would and, say, you know, I love watching the Miami Heat play. I love the way they move the ball and, you know, they play a great team game and it is exciting and it does work for the most part. But it, it, in the finals, when your back's against the wall, you kind of just need superstars to play like superstars and take over. And you're the game. playing against one of the best, if not the best players to mm-hmm. ever play in the NBA, right. opposite of you, who has been to 10 straight finals. Mm-hmm. It's a tall order, but I, I mean, I wouldn't count anything out for Miami, but I don't. I don't expect them to win tonight. So yeah, I don't either. It would take a very, you know, Herculean effort for them to do mm-hmm. that. Well, awesome. Before we sign off, do you got anything that you want to promote for your, your site or your, any of your work that you want to shout out? Um, not, 
not anything current, super current, really. Um, I've been super busy at my day job doing stuff with that. I've been working late every day. Um, I am still working on my uh, top 10 sports movies of all time. It's coming along slowly. I watched a few more that are on my list, so I'm getting, I'm getting close. Um, but you know, we're always doing lots of great stuff at game changer sports network. We have live shows every night of the week, seven days a week, you know, whether there's an NBA show or professional wrestling show, if that's your thing, you know, major league baseball, we've got a lot of good NFL coverage right now. Um, I'm a bears fan, so I've been kind of following them a lot. They got a nice win last night. So that was mm-hmm. kind of nice to see. I didn't think they'd beat Tom Brady. And yeah. But yeah, it was unexpected. I I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of them this season, and they're four and one. So I, I am covering all their games. But um, other than that, I've just kind of been watching the finals and focusing on that. So excellent, yeah. And uh, I am working currently right now on one. I don't have internet. I'm operating off of a hotspot right now. I should have nice. internet Monday. So got um, a good connection for being on a hotspot. I appreciate that. My last venture with a hotspot did not go well. I was on mm-hmm. a draft show for about the first eight minutes and I had to stop before I just started, you know, being not television appropriate. Right. Um, We've all been there. Frustrated with, you know, technology. But mm-hmm. um, once I get that up, I am working on a, um, a piece on James Wiseman, just kind of like a scouting profile report. Nice. Um, but other than that, there's a lot of great stuff, um, like you said, on Game Changer Sports Network, but also on the Off the Ball Network, which is where I'm affiliated right now. Um, you know, they got a lot of good stuff on their NFL, college, um, not as much professional wrestling probably as what you guys do, but we still like to talk about it. There's still a lot of wrestling fans mm-hmm. out there in the world right now. And, uh, you know, and obviously with the NBA, too, we're going over the finals. You know, we're getting ready for the draft. The draft is coming up next month. Can't wait for that. And uh, can't wait to talk a little bit more about that once you uh, you get a little bit studied. Oh, yeah, up I'm gonna I'm gonna process. do my research this week. I'm gonna start diving into the YouTube videos. I have, I've been a little behind. I just yeah. the last few years I've struggled to to really get that into college basketball enough to really know who looks like they'll translate to the NBA or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I am excited for the draft. I do always love you know, the draft of any sport, really. And I'm like you, you know, I'm all about the transactions. I'm excited for this off season for us to have some time to talk about, you know, more than just the games we just watched and, you know, get some more diverse topics and stuff. So I'm excited about what the future holds for sure. And I do have a good idea for our next conversation because it feels like the season might be over tonight. So Mm -hmm. I have to start getting a little bit more creative with our topics of discussion, but for sure. This has been a great show. We are about 15 minutes shy of our going rate right now. So right. I think right now is probably a good, good place time to, to cut it off. It's time to cut it off. Um, I appreciate you as always coming in on the show. I love the yeah, perspective, sure. and the effort that you bring and the and how studious you are in the game. I admire that a lot. It reminds me a lot of myself and it's good to not be the only crazy person about right. basketball. You know, no, right. I told you the other day when we were talking off the show, you know, it's hard to find somebody that's this nuts about it as I am. So I feel like we, you know, we work well together. So absolutely I appreciate all that. Yeah, man. No problem at all. Um, so we're going to be signing off now. We uh, have the Lakers winning tonight and ending the NBA season effectively for the time being. Mm-hmm. And looking forward to just talking about that next week. But for you, the, the watchers, the listeners, you know, you guys have been great. Thank you so much for the support. Um, can't wait to hear more from you guys as you know, our show continues to grow and develop and, you know, we have more things to discuss, but thank you so much for tuning in and, uh, we will catch up with you guys next time. Much love everybody. Have a good one.